Good morning. It's uh, great to be together today. Uh, and um, certainly as we wrap up uh, our time, uh, at least for now, in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and it's been, um, been pretty, pretty, at least for me, it's been kind of jarring. And if you're just kind of joining us in this, uh, we've been doing a flyover of the Sermon on the Mount. It's perhaps one of Jesus' most uh, famous, contains a lot of his most famous teachings. And it's probably, the, it's the largest sort of bulk of teaching found in our Bibles. It's in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It's got all the doozies about adultery and lust and uh, all kinds of fun things in there that we have looked at over the last um, few weeks. And today as we finish this, um, I want for us to kind of grab uh, some handles that we can hold on to as we leave, um, leave, our, leave our time. As you've just heard, uh, you know, last week, let me, let me just uh, mention this, but um, last week, uh, we kind of laid out this, this way in which we end up in the places that we're in. And I got to choose my color very carefully uh, this morning. But we talked about um, chaos. And um, out of chaos, and this is the way even the, the origin, uh, the, the, the creation story emerges. is out of chaos, um, humans were designed and put in place, God creates out of this, he creates a sense of order. It's, it's an ordering of things. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, it was void, and the spirit of God brooded over the deep. And he began this, this work of separating light from dark and all the different things. He begins to create order out of the chaos. And then when he invites human beings, he invites us to continue to participate in that same vein. And the, the, the purpose of bringing order out of chaos is not so that you can control things and not so that you can predict how things are gonna happen and not so you can you know, sleep well. It's to, it's, we, we create order in order to produce ways for human beings and creation to cooperate for flourishing. That, that's the vision from the very beginning of the scriptures. And Jesus is, is aware that this is the idea, right? So he's speaking into this. This is what all of it speaks into. And so what we do is when we create order, the way, or we, the way we create order is we, we produce or we develop systems. We develop systems. And these systems, I can't take that color anymore. And these systems are are. are Initially, they are designed uh, to represent or to uphold some sense of value, something that we, we want, right? And this, this is distinctly related to, to our desires, to what it is that we want. And so I say all this because you, you've got to have some idea of what's happening and how you have gotten to be the way that you are. We talked about the systems we have for washing dishes last week, the systems we have for driving, the systems we have for organizing our workplaces or our homes or our churches. Right? And it's all based on what we value. The, the, the way in which we organize our country and our politics and our economics are all systems that are based on some value. And so we looked at this last week, and the reason it's important because it's very easy for us to become, um, to give allegiance to our systems in a way that erodes our values. Because the systems work, and they work for the things that we want most easily, and there we become very content with them. And whenever something runs against our systems, we flip out. 
right? This is, this is how you sort of, you pressure test this. There's a million ways. I mean, even, even now in our culture, right? This, this month, as we just heard earlier, is Black History Month. Um, and, and, there, and, you know, what I've had to learn over the years is that, you know, Black History Month isn't black history. It's like our history. And it's a really freeing thing to read and to enter in and to listen to the story, some, some extraordinary stories of courage that, that you enter in and you begin to recognize and see things. It's been a very long journey for me. And I invite you into this. Why we have to just keep posturing ourselves to learn together. But, but the reality is, is it doesn't matter what the issue is. There are certain things that hit us in a particular way and it causes us to respond or to react. In fact, this morning, someone was so kind to put a Chapel Hill sticker right here on my desk this morning. So when you get up here to try and like bring God's word and his love to bear, you're like, what? Right? There are things that we encounter that rub against us in ways all the time. And you have to be aware of what they are. And more importantly, you have to be aware of why they do that to you. Right? This is, this is the thing. And I, I can appreciate the fact that we live in a, a very hypersensitive culture. Uh, believe me, I appreciate it. My, I, my voice is on the internet every week. Like people nitpick everything that I say. So I get that part. And I, I don't want to be careful in the sense of afraid. I want to be mindful. So I recognize that. But at the same time, like we have, we have been given responsibility for our own sort of way in this world. That, that what, what, what bothers us or what triggers us or what makes us do things really remains on us. We have to learn how to embrace that. Like everything doesn't have to offend me. Like that's, that's a choice that I can make. This actually doesn't bother me that much because there's one more, I'm just kidding. But you get the idea, right? There, there's, there's something about this that, that we have a say in. And this is some of what Jesus is, is giving to us and inviting us into. And the way we, we you know, began this whole series was with the promise at the end. And the promise at the end of the sermon is that if we put into practice what is taught here, we will be like the one who has a foundation that can withstand the floods when they inevitably rise. That's the picture. When the storms come, when things get hard, when things don't go your way, you will have a foundation that you can depend upon and trust in and live from as you put these things into practice. So this isn't about just agreeing with it. It's not just about hearing it. It's about understanding these things. And I want to ask you, you know, what are the things that push you away or cause you to, um, to bristle at things? And then more importantly, why is that the case? When you start getting to that aspect, you know, one of my, my life principles, and I've long been in the practice habit of reading people whom I disagree with, and in some places, vehemently so. Uh, and I read them, I don't watch the news because that's, that's not helpful, uh, because that's all designed to be kind of, but to read someone. I remember the first time I was reading a book, and I'm reading this book and I just, I'm, I'm opening it up and I'm reading it. In the first chapter, I just wanna throw the book through the, through the window. You ever like, just, I'm like, what is this? And I realized that the problem isn't with the author, the problem is with me. And the principle that I adopted in this is that my gut reactions to things deter, are, are actually sort of litmus tests or determine my readiness or my willingness to understand something. Right? If I can't tolerate your voice, it means I'm not willing or ready to understand your voice. And so this, this is why all of this matters. 
because you have to do that for yourself. Every one of us, has a, we have to do that for ourselves and sort of look at this. And that's why I want to ask you when we think about this, like what is it that we are looking for in this world? Like what is your default view of how things ought to be? What is it you're looking for in this world? What are we looking for in this world? And this is what I thought was really fascinating about, you know, as I kind of been through this sermon over and over and over again for the last few months, just sitting right here in the middle is this call or this invitation to see to see. And Jesus goes through, and again, there's just so much in here that we're not going to be able to, to talk about. But there's a one big section, and he talks about don't worry, right? That's the whole thing. Don't worry. Um, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. And then he goes through these metaphors. Jesus does. Look at the birds, right? They, they, don't, they don't worry. They just, food's just provided for them. Look at, look at the flowers, Right? They, they, you know, they, don't, they don't worry, they just, they're just clothed in all the splendor that God has. It's just this, he uses this idea and then he comes into this place and he says it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he says this. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, like the people who don't believe, right? he's, talking about, he's kind of using the people that, that, are, that live for the world, they, they run after all of these things. <clears throat> and then he says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Now you just heard that in a particular way. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And all God's people said, amen, right? So what I think is interesting here is how this is, is coming about. He's saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I want you to look for something different. And here, here's the problem, right? And I've talked about this before and you know, tried to give a lot of stories about this before to illustrate this. But you don't have to tell someone to seek after what is readily seeable, right? If something is obvious, you don't really have to point it out to anybody. It just happens. No one had to point out to me that Carolina lost us. I knew that already. I mean, that Duke lost us. I knew that already. You don't have to point things out there. So when Jesus says to seek first his kingdom, it's an, it's an indicator to us that we're not likely to readily see this. That we're not likely to just notice this in the normal course of our lives. In fact, what we're no, likely to notice is all the things that we happen to want and happen to desire. And then we sort of say, this is how we get it. And we build systems around it. That's what we're likely to do. And it's going to start with food and clothing and shelter and all the basic things that we need. But it's very quickly going to morph out into all kinds of other things like comfort and convenience and a whole lot of other things that make my life work better. And then we build these systems and anything that threatens these systems causes us to bristle. And so Jesus comes along and says, your father is not surprised by what it is that you need. He's not surprised by human need. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And so we're not likely to see the things that are available. And the second principle, and I just want you to kind of note this, but you are likely to see through the lens of the thing that you want the most. The thing that you're most desperate for. The thing that's most pressing to you, that's the lens in which you are likely to see through, right? And I don't have time to, to get into all that, but that, that's the two things I want to observe as we kind of move through our, our time. 
So here's what Jesus comes back and he says. Matthew chapter 6, 33, this is right in the middle of all this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's the promise? If you do that, what'll happen? All these other things are gonna be given to you. Perfect, right? Why? Because now I know what to do. I know how to get all the things that I want and need, right? Because God already knows I want the big house and the big car and the cool stuff. So now all I have to do is just seek first his kingdom. And so this is when we end up doing things and sort of using cliches about, yep, you know, God above all or God, you know, while we're using him to sort of get our, our way. It's, it's almost like it's become a bargaining chip. It's, it's a formula. And this is, this is precisely what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is not the way this works. A lot of us inadvertently end up reading the Bible like that. We're looking for a principle or something that God says that if we do it just right, then he'll uphold his end of the bargain and we'll get the things that we want. And what, what Jesus is doing is he is reorienting us to something fundamentally differently. He understands human need and he invites us into a different desire. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be the ones who find the fullness of what we're looking for. That's what we looked at last week. So, he, so this is, we, we have to sort of get ourselves to understand that when we're reading the scriptures, when we're listening to the teachings of Jesus, we're trying to walk in the way, he is constantly reorienting us to a fundamentally different way of living and experiencing this world. It's not a formula. Um, we're, we're learning to pursue this idea of righteousness. And we talked about this last week and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in here. This is, you know, I, I, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know how to spell this word because I've written it down a million times. Uh, but it's dikaio. We looked at this. It's the word that's translated for righteousness, dikaiosune. And it's, it's the word that's translated for righteousness and it, and it doesn't just mean well-behaved. It's the idea, we looked at this last week, but it's worth mentioning again. It's the idea of becoming the kind of person or having the kind of soul for whom this way of life is likely or possible. We are seeking the kingdom and his dikaiosune, uh, his righteousness, the essence of what it is that makes God right. We're trying to look and say, God, what is it that makes you right? And what is it that makes you uh, have the capacity to be trusted even when my circumstances are coming apart, even when the floodwaters are rising? Do you know what that is? There's a lot of talk in our culture now about you know, these two gods in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this violent God and this other God. And as so we have views and things about God, and he's like, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What is it that you see about God that makes him worthy of your trust. And, and this, is, this is the exercise that we're gonna look at uh, in just a moment. That there's, a, there's a, something that we are looking for that we incline ourselves so deeply towards that we pursue this and we look for this in everything that we're doing. That, and somehow in this, it makes it available and it makes it possible. You know, as I've been reflecting on this the last few weeks, I find myself more and more and more places where I seek all kinds of other things first. And then somehow I get around to his righteousness, but really stop and say, how can I look at this first, seek this first above everything else? And what it does, and this is, this is where I want for our vision to get to, 
This, is, this, this idea of righteousness is a kind of goodness that affects us so deeply that it gives us hope that everything else could become good. It is a war on cynicism and futility. To seek first God's righteousness and to receive it and to, to drink it in, to trust in it such that, that it's a, a depth of goodness that gives you and me the hope that somehow everything that we do and bring and offer could make things good again. This, this is what gives us vision for redemption, I believe. Um, I don't think his charge not to worry is so much, uh, he's not naive as to how the world works, but he's inviting us again into a very different way in which we don't have to withhold, we don't have to calculate, we don't have to preserve our way, our system, but instead we're free, right? To, to, to give. We're learning to live his way. And this is always the thing. And it's worth noting here that I think at least, if not the central value around which the kingdom is arranged is that of reconciliation. That of returning things to this idea of rightness where everything is, is this depth of goodness. And, and to return things to this, this beauty of shalom where everything is rightly related to everything else. It's a, it's a vision of this that just sweeps us into this. Um, my word this year um, is, uh, and I mentioned it last week, it's cologne. It's not like Brut Fabergé cologne or polo. Uh, it is a Greek word. And again, um, it sounds so, I, I'm gonna get tired of explaining this over and over again, but um, I should have just chosen beauty, but I didn't. But it's the Greek word for beauty. And the reason I picked it, it's K-A-L-O-N. The reason I chose it was because of the, the story is from Matthew um, uh, or Mark chapter 13. When Mary comes and she comes to Jesus and she takes a bottle of perfume worth a year's wages and she anoints him with it. And all the disciples are going, you could have used that money. You could have sold it, used that money for all kinds of good things. How is it you've allowed her to waste this? And Jesus looks at them and he says, don't bother her. She has done a, it's translated beautiful. She has done a cologne thing. What she has done is beautiful. And it sets up a tension for how we think in this efficiency laden, make everything work like it's supposed to against something that we see and behold and encounter that just moves us to see something more. So that's what I want for, for this year to be like. I have enough things where I have to like produce and be ready and make sure everything's, I, I want some things that I can just, just not have to do that and just, just to, to try and say, Lord, can you help me see things that are beautiful? And part of what I do is I try to read and, and you know, some things around that. I'm reading a book called Faith Plus Art um, by Makoto Fujimura. And he um, wrote the book that I quoted a, a few months ago about the idea of generative, if you remember that from the money series, generative uh, and generativity. And here's what he writes. He says, therefore, Jesus, he's talking about this, this idea of extravagance and beauty and, and there's something to what God does that becomes a, a eternal source. It's not limited by what we have or don't have. It's, it's an idea of abundance. God was never trying to preserve things 
so that we didn't run out. Like that's, that's something else. It's a different system. Therefore, Jesus' preaching addresses the mindsets of scarcity-ridden, fear-filled followers. I'm not sure if you would put yourself in your, that category, but there's a lot of people who fall in that category of scarcity-ridden. Like we're not going to have what we need if we let go of this. Scarcity-ridden, fear-filled followers. Consider the lilies. Love your enemies. These are extravagant, you know, postures of extravagant offering. Blessed are the poor. The many parables that assume abundance at the core of our lives. And they all point to greater love. Right, that at the core of your life, if we learn how to hunger and thirst for this, I mean, right, it, Jesus talks about whoever believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, this endless source of something that's been made available to us. And he goes on, man, this is, you know, they all point to a greater love. And then he goes on, he says this, love demands more than utility. A greater love expands purposefully into an, into an expansive and enduring realm of relational depth. All of this is about returning us to right relationships with the Father, with ourselves, with one another, and with the world around us. And there is, an, there is an, 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 and what I've been describing the gospel to, to me in the last five to, you know, probably the last two or three years, is the more I've tried to understand the gospel, the more the world just keeps opening up to me. It just gets more and more and more and more and more. And it's complicated and it's heartbreaking and it's all those things. It's not solvable. Like I don't see, oh, here's how we can solve this problem. It's not, but it is redemptive. Like, like the hope for redemption is stronger the more I see. And this is, this is where we have to get to. A greater love that expands purposefully into an expansive and enduring realm of relationship. When we, when we say that God is purposeful, it doesn't mean he has a job for you to do. It doesn't mean he has a plan for your life to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. When we talk about God as purposeful, we need to move beyond our industrial mindset of bottom line thinking about efficiency and success. God is gratuitously purposeful to bring vast, abundant beauty into our lives. Would that be enough? Like, this is what we've got to get our heads and our hearts on. So how do we get this? Interesting. This is what Jesus' next section is about. He goes through and says, don't judge, you'll be judged. Don't mess with the plank in your neighbor's eye. Get the speck out of your own, right? You're all worried about them being offended. You need to pay attention to your own level of offense and all those kinds of things. And then in Matthew 7, verse 7 and 12, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I wanted to stop there because that seems to make sense. But Jesus being Jesus doesn't, and he just pushes us a little further. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake, right? Who does that? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give Good gifts to those who ask. 
and then out of nowhere. So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Like where did that come from? We just start off seeking, it'll be given, right? This is about me, seeking will be given, you know, uh, asking, I'll get it and knocking, it'll be, like this is, and then all of a sudden he just turns it around into, can you trust God? And when you learn to trust God, you're gonna posture yourself in a way that, that, that does something or offers something to the world. And, and the reason you have to get this is because we have to get out of our own way in order to begin to see and understand the way of Jesus. And that is not easy because we have systems and they work really, really, really well and we do not give them up very easily. So how do we do this? It's exactly what he said. We seek or we ask, we seek and we knock. So this is your homework for the week, okay? Sounds pretty simple, right? You just ask for what you want. It's not what I'm talking about. I don't know, one of the things I love about being a parent is you get your spot in your house. It just happens. You don't have to pick it. It just happens. <clears throat> and so I have a spot and mine is on the, because my whole, I have very few places in my house. I have girls and I've had girls. And so I have very few places in my house that belong to me. Everything else is kind of shared and it's, it's girly, um, <clears throat> which I'm fine with. But I sit on the end of the couch where the table is so I can sit my drink on the table while I sit. That's what I like to do. And my youngest daughter, who uh, lives with us uh, now, um, she went out for Kaji's back, long story, but she'll sit and she'll sit in this spot, like right, it's, it's not in my spot, but there's only like four or five inches, maybe six inches where my spot is. And so I'll walk up to her and I'll just like, I'll just scooch right, right in the side. She's like, do you want to sit here? You know, we have this big thing and, but she does it every time. And so now I'll walk and she's a child therapist. So she's in, she's, that's what she does for a living now. And which is probably good for her relating to me. And so I, I walk up to her now and I get to the edge of the couch and she's sitting in my spot. And I just, I just put my drink on the table and then I just stand there. And she just looks at me. She says, dad, use your words, right? Do you want something? <clears throat> and this is how a lot of us approach this, right? Right, to, to ask. To ask is to use your words. What is it that you actually want? What do you think Jesus is doing here? Do you think he's just trying to get you to go, hey, just tell me you want to sit in the seat and for me to move out of the way? Or do you think he's telling you to ask so you can actually start to pressure test what it is that you want to articulate your desires? Y'all are not surprised what I'm about to say next. This is why I keep a journal. There are lots of things that I want. There are lots of things that I think ought to be a certain way. And as I start to write them down and bring them in and say, Lord, I go, oh, this is not really what you want, what I want. We got to deal with this now. To articulate what you desire allows you to see it. There are so many things, even in our prayer lives, that we just rattle off and we say because we're their default prayers. Whenever someone asks you to pray, you're like, oh, I haven't prayed well. Lord, I have particular prayers and my kids sort of make fun of me in this, but I've chose those words very carefully and I, I re-up them often. When I, when I pray for our meals, I say, Lord, thank you for your provision in every way. Because what I mean is this is provision, but so is everything else. Give me eyes to see that. But I look at those words. I don't just say thank you for the food and bless it, the nourishment of my body and my body to your service, which is like a classic thing. 
I try to go, give me some different words. Let me articulate. Let me, let me ask with a sense of freshness and a sense of purpose. To ask. Language is so important. Like we have these default phrases that we use. It's in politics. It's in everything. It's default phrases that are designed to get a response at some point in time. Because that's what the system has become. The same thing is true in our own personal worlds. We have language and words and phrases that we can use to keep people at bay, to put people in their place, to make ourselves look or appear a certain way. We have language that articulates what we believe and you've been saying that for 10 years or 12 years or 15 years or 18 years and you haven't even rethought, do you still think that way about something? Or at least give it new language. When I find myself repeating the same patterns of words in my journal, I try to find words that are different and say, can I say this differently just to see it differently? Right, to ask. I want you to ask for what you want. Sit down and make a list, like a physical list with a computer and a, you know, typing or a pen and a piece of paper, not in your head, something you can see tangibly. Jesus says, if you wanna learn how to seek first the kingdom of God, you gotta, you gotta ask for it. And the second, this is, this is a great exercise and I cannot overstate how important it is. Number two is to seek. This is about noticing. This is about noticing. Most of us only notice what we're already familiar with and we already want to see anyway. That's just the way, you know, psychologists have all kinds of terms for this kind of stuff. But that's what we always do. You've got to put yourself in a position, right, to see things differently, to notice different things. You think, if you grew up in the church, that you're seeking first his righteousness when you're seeking the right side of the right issues. And you've not at all thought anything different since that. The reason that I've become the way that I, I am, and people ask me all the time, it's like, oh, Mike's so, you know, too far right, he's too far left. I'm like, because it's, you're, you're talking about the wrong system. Like you 100%. Yes, there are places where the right side of the political spectrum has really consistent views on what Jesus values. And there are places on the left, I know people cannot believe this, but on the left where they have really consistent views with the values of Jesus. And the reason isn't because one of them is right or left, because they're using the other to get their way. And there's a whole other way for us to learn how to live. That's what we're learning how to do. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's where our allegiance is. And so we have to, we have to learn how to notice these things. Don't just see what you've always seen. What is it about God and his goodness? If your pursuit of God is making you more cynical, right, you're missing something. This, would, this opens us up to seek, to not, or to ask, to seek. And the last thing is knock. Some of you are good at this because you're going to beat somebody's door down. That's not what he's talking about. It is interesting that to ask requires us to articulate, right, what we want. To seek makes us notice what it is that we really want. Am I, am I looking for and pursuing the things that I really, really want, that, that God really wants for me? But to knock means you have to get off of your tail and do something. 
You can want to get in the door all you want, but until you get up, walk over and go, doom, 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 nothing's going to happen. And I don't, and what's interesting to me, this, this requires something physical and tactile from us. It requires you to enter in and do things in a way and to put yourself in a position to be dependent on another. Like that's what knocking is. Hope they open the door. It's, it's, it's the way in which we pursue and acknowledge our dependence on someone else to open the way for us. You know what Jesus' next section is? Enter, knock and it'll be opened. Enter by the narrow way. For the road that leads to life, right, is narrow and the road that leads to Destruction has lots of room. It's not because there's one way to heaven. It's because there's one way in which we learn how to find this kind of life and pursue this kind of way of righteousness. And it is in him that we find this. We have to learn how to live and walk and move in this, to navigate this world faithfully and full of hope, to navigate the chaos that's going to ensue, right? It's going to continue faithfully and never losing hope. And here's the way I want to close this. Our, our pursuit isn't to understand what we can do so we can do it, so we can know how to make our lives work. But rather, our pursuit is to be a kind of person so we can live as a kind of people. That's exactly what this thing is about. If we put these things into practice, we will find a foundation that can support the weight of what we really want. We will live out our faith and we will live as his people. And it is important that we learn how to navigate the chaos, but it is more important who we are as we do this. Seek, right? Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door to this way will be opened unto you. That's the promise that we find if we'll do this. Father, these are not easy tasks. And they rub against a lot of what we um, are familiar with, and in some ways, a lot of what we hold to. So I ask you um, to do the work in us, to meet us in these places. And I ask that you would give us the courage to do the work, to bring these things before you, and then as we trust each other towards one another. In order to ask you to do this, um, because I believe that the redemption, the hope of the world isn't that we fix or solve the problems, but that your church, your bride, brings a measure of stunning beauty and goodness into the world um, that does something that solutions could never do. So I ask, Father, that you would give us vision for that. Help us to see that, to seek that, and then 
to ask, to seek, and to be persistent in knocking until it becomes true in our lives and in our church. And I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.